Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kyle Drink of the Go Low Show, and today we have another very special guest, a returning guest, Jordan Hahn, who is now an official Corn Ferry Tour member. Uh, last time we chatted, he had gotten through Q School, but now he's got some events, um, and he actually Monday qualified. His first event ever was the Valspar Championship in Florida, and in an incredibly big field, an incredibly power field. And then he's got some corn fairy starts and he's had some really cool things happen since you've heard him last. So we're bringing him on to kind of talk again about that experience and you continue to elevate his game, what he's doing, how he's implementing mental golf type. And uh, we have a really cool episode ahead of you. And you know, Jordan's very humble, um, just an awesome attitude to the kid. And he's got a lot of great things to share and a lot of things that all listeners can really learn from them so don't want to take up any more time coming up right now jordan Hahn. welcome to the go low show where it's about golf grit and your pursuit of greatness my name is kyle Alderink, and i am your co-host along with my man john weir mental game coach extraordinaire and in this podcast we're going to show you everything that you need to know about how to go low in your golf game and we're excited to bring you that show right now Expect anything different? Is it his time? Yes! In your life have you seen anything like that? Well, here it comes. Alright, it's time to go. Well, Jordan, it's awesome to be able to meet you finally. I hear a lot about you and your work with Kyle. And uh, you're coming off a lot of great success. And I think one of the most monumental things in the PGA Tour lately was seeing a six foot nine player tee it up and claim the tallest player in history. And my first question that I just want to get out of the way is what got you into golf? I mean, considering some of your size, I mean, I'm six foot five. I grew pretty early, too. Um, I mean, my inclination was moving towards some other sports and things. And so for a tall guy like yourself, I'm sure you had some basketball coaches and people pandering to you. So how do you get into golf? How does Jordan get this thing, this journey started? Yeah, I grew up playing a lot of different sports. I played a lot of baseball um, just with being from a small town. I wanted to play sports with my buddies and stuff like that. Nobody really played golf. <clears throat> so played those and then kind of around eighth grade, Decided I kind of wanted to drop baseball, take golf a little more seriously. I always play basketball, play basketball through junior year of high school. Decided I just wasn't starting in basketball. I wasn't very good. So <laughs> figured I might as well lock in and take golf uh, seriously. I knew that I had the ability to kind of take it as far as I wanted. Just a, just a matter of, you know, putting the preparation in as I had been focused on other sports throughout the whole rest of my my life um i always played though i started playing just for fun with my dad and other family members my sister played as well and um yeah i mean i i was never i was always tall but then i kind of to your point about height i kind of flattened out and then i had a really really big growth growth spurt like sophomore year of high school. And that really took a toll on my golf game. Um, it was right after I committed to Wisconsin. And I was, I was lost after that. I, I 
think I grew four inches in a year and I, I didn't know where the ball was going. That was a big change. And it's something that Kyle and I talked a lot upon and how to kind of move past that and realize that once we do stop growing that we can, you know, the game's going to come along with that. So. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of guys out there, especially high schoolers growing right now, going through similar things and, and going through those adjustments. And, um, but I want to kind of switch gears these last couple of weeks. I mean, you've been on fire. Um, Kyle's been on the bag in the Monday qualifier at Knoxville. Uh, you Mondayed into the PGA events. Uh, you had him on a corn ferry on the bag. So what's it like having your coach on the bag with you in some of these events? It's a lot of fun. You know, Kyle and I, obviously, is my coach, but we got a good relationship even just outside of the player-coach side. You know, we've known each other for probably coming up on close to nine years or something like that. So, you know, when we're out there, we're really not talking anything about the swing. Obviously, we talk a little bit about, you know, mental stuff. You know, pick your field goals and just launch it through there and pick the shot you want to hit. But between the standing behind the ball and everything like that, we're just talking about normal life stuff. Um, keeps it light and we both have the same personality like that. So we're always chatting or whatever it may be about. Big thing, Jordan, is just, you know, again, on the theme of ups and downs, you know, with corn fairy status, obviously it was exciting to get that. COVID hits, throws a wrench in everything, really get no starts for a long time. Didn't even know if we're going to get starts. Um, and then you Monday into the Valspar. Kind of. You know, so your first start is an actual pretty darn big PGA event where we're standing next to DJ and, you know, JT's out there, Patrick Reed's out there, Bubba's out there. I mean, the kind of the who's who of a field for your first time, you know, out there. So what was it like? <laughs> I mean, I know what it was like with me out there standing yeah. there. You know, I was kind of straight tin cup looking to ask these guys for their autographs. But <laughs> like... I was videoing, videoing every, everybody's swing but mine. <laughs> <laughs> I did get a couple of good from DJ, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but uh, not like you said, I, I didn't really know if I was going to get a start off my status. And, you know, I've been doing the Monday Monday qualifying grind and hadn't had any success. I knew I was playing well. I missed in a playoff the week before qualifying in Valspar. Um, the reason I decided to go to Valspar instead of the Corn Parade Monday that week was the second – I played second stage of Q school at the same course. And I really liked the course, thought it fit my game well. So I went there with just a positive, open mind, got through. And what, right when you get through it, I mean, getting through your first one, there's obviously a lot of excitement. You got you know, people calling you and everything like that. And it's, it's you're just filled with emotion. Get there on, on Tuesday and all the players were super welcoming, you know, say congratulations and stuff like that and fortunate got to know a few of them just from being out in Arizona and the during the winter and they kind of took me under the wing a little bit but when it came came time for Thursday to that I was definitely nervous I remember I remember getting there on Thursday morning going to the putting green and there's a hole just kind of by yourself and that's what I want I just want to do my own thing and start putting and DJ walks over and I'm like, Oh man, I just want it. And then the gallery obviously comes with him and, you know, I can barely take the putter back on the putting green. Um, but 
it was a, it was a great learning experience knowing that, you know, you can play out there. Obviously it wasn't a, a play I was hoping for, but the second round I, I showed that, you know, if you just do the things that you, you can control or you can do and that I can compete out there. But I think that that was the best preparation I could have had for come two weeks later in Knoxville for the corn Ferry event. Um, not to, not to say that, you know, I wasn't nervous at the corn Ferry event or anything like that, but you just felt a little, it just felt like another week. It just, it didn't feel like this pressure on your shoulders of playing in a, a you know, big time tour event. Cause I mean, after all the corn Ferry tours are second best tour in the, in the world probably. So, um, yeah, definitely changed the game plan on the first hole. That's for sure. Due to nerves, we had three iron instead of driver, which is operation keeping in play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Controlling the nerves, the adrenaline. Um, yeah. I mean, I know what it feels like to be on the bag out there. Um, stepping into the role of the player. I'm sure those first couple holes were, were pretty intense, especially with the galleries and everything like that. Um, it flew by for us anyways, at least I know the first maybe six, seven holes that blinked my eye and they were done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once you, once you get out there, you feel a little bit more comfortable, but definitely as you, to your, to your credit there, John, it's the first couple of holes, they definitely fly by and it's, you kind of can blink and be almost like what happens, you know? So what were some of your ways out there of getting more settled? I mean, you posted some good birdies. You went on some good runs out there at the PGA event. Um, what were you doing to get more comfortable out there, getting your mind in the right place? You know, the, the biggest thing is um, just keeping that communication going with, you know, your caddy. Obviously out there, it's not a ton of guys don't chat with each other. So, you know, talking with your caddy and stuff like that and, not even about golf, just about like life or, you know, just even just soaking in the experience, not just trying to like block it out. I think the more that, at least that I felt like a soaking it in, it made me more calm than if I tried to block out what it was all about. Um, I don't know why that, why that would be, but if I was just kind of like, okay, you know, you're playing in a PJ tour event, you belong out here as opposed to being like, you know, this is just another week. Um, I think that, that kind of helped me get going. I'm not saying that that was maybe the best way to go about it, but I think that that definitely helped me realize that, you know, if you're just doing what you get prepared for, for, you know, pretty much your whole life. Um, and I remember too, even when we were warming up on Thursday and me, Kyle and, JP, who I had came for me that week, we were just talking on the range, like, you know, any other day we were joking and laughing. And I think that that just kind of made it all more calm, you know, not worrying about the external things or stuff like that. Yeah. And for the record, I think your mental golf type is ENFP. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So imagine if you were with the pressure there and you were just in your head soaking in the stress. I mean, that's uh, the talking is how has that helped? Would it help diffuse a lot of the tension and pressure and things like that? Just verbalizing and communicating anything like that? Yeah. When I 
like we touched upon earlier with having Kyle on the bag and stuff like that is me and Kyle both have that same personality. So being able to just talk and not even about golf stuff, like I said, just talk about random stuff that's going to make you laugh or keep your mind off of whatever it is. Um, just that, that, that plays a big part into, as you said, how you can soak in that moment and not let your mind wander. Cause I guarantee you being my, my personality, if I were to not have those communications or conversations with Kyle and JP, that I'd, it would have been a completely different, you know, hour warm up session. You know, I probably would have been not swinging it the way I wanted to on the, on the range or just, yeah. I mean, looking back, I don't even know what the conversations we were having, but whatever it was we were talking about, like, it, it definitely kept your mind off of, off of what's going on. Gotcha. So, um, you know, kind of going back to, to these Mondays. So, and don't take this personally, but I remember at one point I had to tell people, well, Jordan just is terrible in these Monday qualifiers. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you know, you kind of just all of a sudden got hot after that Valspar. I mean, like the next week you were in a playoff, right? And then the next week after that was when you and I were in Knoxville where you won it at eight under. So we went six under, six under, eight under consecutive Mondays, right? Yep. So what do you think changed for you in these Mondays? Like, how did you get in the mindset to just start freaking going after it? Yeah. Like you said, I think that there was kind of a progression there. I mean, there were some, there were some Mondays there where they were pretty dark. I think I was, mm-hmm. if you were to look at the, before those couple of weeks you were talking about, I bet you my scoring average was pretty close to over par. Um, and that's the opposite direction that you need in those Mondays. But yeah, I mean, I, I just think that if once I got through one, or not even through one, once I got into the playoff for one, I just felt like you kind of opened up the floodgates. It was just kind of like a validation of, you know, I think it's easy for the Mondays to sit back and almost feel like they're impossible or, or at least like mentally talk like they're impossible, you know, especially when you don't have success getting thrown. But now, now that you've gotten through one, it's, you know, like even this, even yesterday, I teed up into Monday and I, obviously I didn't get through, but still going into the, the event, you're optimistic. You're, you know, eager for the opportunity where I think before it was almost a little bit like, you know, a little draining, like, you know, can you get through these? And, you know, cause you do got to go out and take it deep. And I just think that the more that you can, for me, at least is the more that I just viewed it as a opportunity, as opposed to like something that almost seemed impossible. I think that's where the, the recent success, success in those came. I mean, do you, are you treating those like a kind of normal tournament round? Or are you treating them different at this point? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think before I was not treating it like a normal tournament round. I think before the ones I've recently gotten through, I was almost trying to do too much. Um, but now I, after getting through them, you, you, you kind of realize that you don't have to do anything super spectacular. You know, how many times have you gone out and shoot? five, six, seven or par, 
and that's normally good enough to get through them. Um, and to shoot five, six, seven on our par, you don't need to do anything crazy. You know, take advantage of the par fives and pick up a few here and there. Like it's, like I was saying before, it almost felt unrealistic to get through it. But now it's, it feels like you don't have to go out and play. You got to go play good, obviously, but it doesn't feel like you have to go out and do anything crazy spectacular. And I think that that has allowed me to play more free. It's allowed me to kind of switch back more into, you know, my mental golf type type personality and not try to do too much and just go out and play free, relaxed. And after all, it's when, when I do that, that's when I play my best. So. Well, and I think that's a good lesson for everybody though, is because when we get, and John, you can comment on this too, but it's like when we get anybody kind of looks at a moment and over glorifies that and tries to do something kind of outside the norm, it really doesn't work. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, this is a huge moment. I got to, I got to rise to the occasion. We talked about that all the time. Like people don't really rise to the occasion. You know, you're going to, you're going to do what you're going to do as long as you follow what you've trained to do. Yeah. That's where I think I was finding the struggles early on as I was, you know, felt like I had this weight on my shoulder, especially not getting into the events with my, with my status. I just felt like, you know, I have this weight on my shoulders to go out do something that I feel like is almost impossible getting through these Mondays and then go play well in the tournament. I, I felt like I was almost looking too far ahead as opposed to just viewing the Monday qualifiers as an opportunity to you know, just play golf. At the end of the day, that's all it is. And I know you're what not a powerful reframe. What a powerful reframe you've made from impossible to opportunity, right? And here we, we, we've stressed on the program all the time about self-talk and how just changing a word or a way of, of perceiving the situation, how it can change the way you feel and change your actions and then go out and change the results. Um, what a, a powerful testimony to a lot of the things that we've talked about and kudos to you for making that shift. Um, I think that's such a powerful thing because it gets you excited to go look forward to an opportunity. But whenever you think of impossible I mean, just going back to that core core um, teaching, how do you feel when you feel it's impossible? You you don't get that charged up feeling to go out there and want to do something great. So you're either going to go out and try to force it, like you said, or protect it and no freedom there, right? Yeah, that, that's that, that would that's the biggest thing from a playing standpoint is how that change of wording allow me to perform on the course is freedom is the perfect word for it. You know, if I, if I'm tired or thinking too much, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not talking through my shot. I'm probably not seeing my zone. I'm, I'm trying to guide the ball as opposed to, you know, executing a, a task at hand. And I think that, that change of wording has not only allow me to have more success in the Monday qualifiers, but I also think it's allowed me to have more fun when I'm traveling to a Monday qualifier. And I think that that plays a role in it as well. You know, if you're you know, sitting by yourself or whatever, and you're just kind of feel like it's impossible. It's, it's not, it's not going to be any, it's not going to be enjoyable and probably not. I probably wouldn't have been an enjoyable person to travel around that. And now 
doing it as an opportunity, you're, you know, grabbing dinner, hanging out with people. It's, it's, I think all overall, I think those combinations have allowed the success to come. Yeah, very cool. And, and what type of role do you think mental golf type has played in the career over these last few months or uh, as Kyle's introduced it to you? Have you seen any any shifts in your performance from that? Certainly. Yeah, I mean, I think that mental golf type has a has a big role in that that success. And, um, you know, right before right before I qualified in Knoxville, I actually spent some time with Kyle down in down in Tennessee and. You know, we were we were hitting balls in the range and probably balls for hour and a half. We were doing a couple of different things. And, you know, finally we were just like, all right, see the trees there left of the range, started somewhere out there and cut it back to the flag. See the trees right of the range, started somewhere out there, draw back. And just the perspective of how to hit a shot is – I think one of the biggest aspects that mental golf type has allowed me to succeed is, you know, I used to get behind the ball and line up the club and pick a spot like on the ground and be very line oriented, which is the opposite of how my personality is supposed to play. And, you know, I just felt like that was the right thing to do, you know, set the face to that. But after seeing and seeing my swing, you know, on video after even just changing my mental perspective of how to shape a shot or anything like that, the swing falls into place with that. You know, you're back to the, the word freedom and playing with freedom. That if I play with freedom, my swing gets in the best positions that I, I could ask for. And that's not even changing anything with the swing. You know, that's just viewing the target in a different manner. And I talk a lot about it with my, for me, if I see a field goal out there and just all I have to do is step up and rip it through the field goal and manipulate the face and I'm trying to hit a cut or draw, I know the shot's going to, you know, go where I want it to go. But if I'm out there and I'm just picking out, you know, aim at this limb and cut it, that's, that's way too much steering going on in this way so mental golf type has allowed me to play more freely on the course and if i talk through those shots i remember when kyle caddy for me he's like you know i like how you're behind the ball and you're just talking through it you're just talking through okay there's a there's your field goal and if i verbalize those those points for my field goal i, I know i'm not going to miss a shot yeah, yeah Bruce's been into putting in these Monday qualifiers. I mean, my goodness, um, too. I mean, that's just been some special golf lately. But at the same time, probably doesn't feel very special because you're just feeling relaxed and being yourself out there now and all things are clicking. So, yeah. John, let, let me let me shed some light on this trip when Jordan came in. So when he first came up to the range, I actually had TrackMan set up in our indoor little hitting studio. And... So Jordan jumps in there. He's like, oh, let me get on this a little bit. We have the video going, numbers going. Next thing I know, like, he's like, well, what's this number? How do I change that? What's this number? How do I change that? And Jordan, how did those shots start to get when you started getting worried about the video and the numbers? Yeah. I mean, the, 
swing looked worse in the video and the contact was <laughs> felt even worse. Yeah. So it got to a point where we're pretty much like, uh, dude, get out of here, <laughs> go get back on, on the grass. But, you know, so part two of that, uh, you know, when you're talking about those zones, um, one of the coolest moments I think from that Knoxville event was when you were on the ninth hole and you hit it behind the scoreboard. You remember that one? So ninth hole is your 18th hole of the day and you're behind that scoreboard and people in the crowd are like, he can move that. Why is he not moving? I mean, there's a lot of rumblings because he had a pretty big audience the last group of the day. So everyone that was there was pretty much watching at this point. And so everybody's in the crowd talking to themselves. Like, why is he not moving that ball? And you left it behind the scoreboard. Why? Yeah, I left, I left it behind the scoreboard. So for me, if I, the scoreboard was a perfect field goal. I knew that if I just hit it over the field, over the scoreboard, that it was going to go where I wanted to go. And it took the pin out of sight. All I, I knew that I just needed to pretty much aim over the middle of the scoreboard. And I had a perfect number. So just aim over the scoreboard and hit it. And I ended up hitting it 10 feet, made birdie. And kind of how, how I realized not to move it actually took place in, in Tennessee and also in the, in the qualifier to get into the event. Um, we were playing out at, at Black Creek where Kyle is, and I forget what hole. What hole is it, Kyle, with the kind of the uh, bullseye in the in the back? Um, I'm still kind of new out there. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know the exact yeah. hole. Yes, there's a hole well, where anyway, you can't see the green. Yeah. So they got a bullseye where you need to hit it. Yeah, so there's this bullseye out there, and you don't know where you're hitting it. I've never played there before, so. You know, I think it's six, but yeah. Kyle, Kyle and I were just like, all right, we'll just aim over there and hit a little cut. And sure, aimed right there, hit a little cut, and had 15 feet for eagle. And then in the practice round when we were playing together, when he was caddying for me, same thing at, at uh, the course for the Monday is blind par five, don't know where you're going. Aim over this pretty much down the fairway and hit it. And so come competition, when I knew that, you know, I had the scoreboard and I couldn't move the ball to – get a look at the green for me i just knew that if i have something kind of taking the target out of out of the way of my visual that's just that's i can swing freely and fortunate enough that make birdie out of it but it's crazy it's crazy when you take away the target what what happens in your swing? What happens if there was a track? If there was a track man behind you when you took away the target, I bet you the numbers would be perfect every time. But so does that help start, you focus a little more on your shot shape, or is it a better picture? Or what? What did that help you to do with the scoreboard blocking out the target for you? Yeah, I think that it's a it's a perfect. The, you know, I think that some of the best shots I've hit, I've had to maneuver the ball and you know there's no whether it's cutting it around a tree or something like that you know what you have to do you know and i think that if there's just you the green and the pin i think it's super easy you just get so locked in on the pin and then you start guiding it whereas opposed to the scoreboard all i know is i just need to hit it high enough so it doesn't go right into the scoreboard and <laughs> i've got the perfect number and you know that's you just that's all you have to do there's there's no obviously there's external factors like wind and stuff like that but that's all gone into your calculation so 
just being able to step up and make a swing. I mean, how many swings have we all made and we, in our life and how many good swings we made and knowing that it almost feels, it almost feels like there's no result that comes with hitting over the scoreboard. If I guarantee if everybody just took a bucket of balls and all they had to do is hit it over the scoreboard, they'd hit it over the scoreboard every time. So when your task is super easy, you know, I think that that brings back to the, the word freedom. I think that just brings in more freedom to freedom of motion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for an intuitive player like yourself, I mean, that freedom of motion is so crucial. Um, I would encourage everybody listening to this interview, go back and listen to Austin and you'll hear a completely different approach to the game. And it just goes to show that, I mean, if we tried to put Jordan into Austin's shoes and turn him into a robot like that and a point and a line player, um, what type of struggles that brings. And also for AT, if he had to go in and just see shapes or, or see the different flight patterns and, and allow it to happen, it would bring him some trouble. So it's fascinating to hear, again, as the different types come out and start going towards their strengths, how easy and effortless the performance comes out and the feedback that you're sharing. It's really cool. So yeah, I'm, 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 oh, I was just going to kind of move on a little bit and, um, you know, talk about this last event we had in, you know, hometown Chicago. Yeah. Just, I guess, what, like, if there, you know, any difference in feeling of, you know, playing in front of the hometown crowd, you know, did that change how you went into it mindset wise? Does it change yeah. having me on the bag with you? You know, anything like that? Yeah, I think that. So playing and playing in front of the hometown crowd was was something I was looking forward to. I think that the weather might have steered some people away, but um, it was still awesome to play in front of a lot of friends and family that don't get me to don't aren't able to see me play on a regular basis now. But yeah, with with Kyle on the bag, you know, we were we were kind of looking for some of the same same mojo that we had going in, in Tennessee. Um, I'm fortunate that we didn't get it going, but I think that in regards to how we hit it and how we, our process was, I think it was really good. And I think that you and I talked about it, Kyle, is a big difference on that, that last night, our second day is, you know, the way we went about hitting shots was a lot more effective than what we were doing before. And a lot of that boils down to how we, what our process was. And it was get our number, step up, see our zones, hit it. I think before we were maybe overthinking a little bit, trying to take in too much account as opposed to just, you know, what's the number, what's your zones, hit it. And, you know, we played a pretty smooth back nine there. We, we didn't make any birdies, made nine pars, but given the conditions, what was it, probably 45 low and 25 mile an hour and wind and raining. I think that that is, uh, I think that was pretty solid, solid back nine, which we would have had that the, the whole week, but that just, that just goes back to my point about a learning experience is realizing that, you know, it's really easy to sometimes fall out of your process and what makes you tick. And the quicker you can realize that, it's the better for yourself. And 
going forward, I know I'll, I'll know when I fall into that funk, what, what the feelings are. And I'm sure that if you were to probably time every one of my swings, I bet you that time wise over the ball was a lot quicker that second nine. Would you agree? Yeah. You know, and I, I contribute a lot of it too, to just, you know, like you said, with the, with all the factors we had to play in, and a lot of it, I just, I take on myself too, is probably not calculating things as good as we probably could have, you know, not taking into effect some of the wind on putts that was actually affecting it. You know, I don't know if I've yeah. seen a ball get hit by a wind on a putt like it did out there a couple of times or just, you know, under, under reading the wind and things like that. I mean, you know, and it's easy, you know, even as a, as a caddy and someone kind of feel like you don't have a lot of control at that point and, you start kind of second guessing your numbers and like you're recalculating this wind, right? Things like that. So, I mean, I think that goes a little bit of both ways. And I mean, those were hard conditions to play in and that's not an excuse because everybody played in them, but you know, I just personally think we got a little out mathematicianed out there <laughs> to the point where, yeah. like you said, it was locking you up a little bit. And then finally when it was like, screw it, just, just trust what you got and hit it, you know? Yeah. I think it was definitely in those conditions, easy to get a little bit math oriented and, trying to calculate every single thing um which can be good and can be bad and as we as we found out you know i, I haven't played in conditions that bad in a little while or maybe even ever so just realizing that even when there are other elements you still got to stick to what you do and how you how you go about your business and um i think that that, that showed throughout the the course of the the two days. Well, I have to say, I love your attitude about things. So even during the struggles, seeing it as that learning experience, it's kind of like going back to that opportunity. We can still be taking a lot of positives from the event to keep us growing. So take players into a little bit about what you do post round, you know, as you evaluate either good rounds or even, you know, some of the events like this recent corn Ferry event, right? Where it didn't go exactly your way, but you have an experience out there. You're calling it a a learning experience and a growth thing. So how do you, how do you make sense of your round afterwards? What are you doing post round? Yeah, I think that you definitely need to take a little time away from give your time, give yourself some time to kind of decompress and maybe not dive into it right away. You know, I think that after Friday, you know, of the Evan Scholar event, I think I, if I were to dive into it right then, it would have been a, probably a different, conversation that we're having right now i think i was pretty frustrated then and if i were to try to dive into some things i would have probably went in kind of down a dark path thinking about you know what could have done better and everything like that so you know taking a step back and just giving yourself some time to think about something else do something else i think that it will give you more clarity as to actually what happened you know i that goes for everything bad day any day if you dive into it it's only going to be negative there's never going to be any positive so i wouldn't say that i dive into it right away but you know one thing that i had one thing statistically that does need to get better after that week was was putting stats and scrambling percentage um, i think my scrambling percentage for the week is 40 percent. you know it's not going to get get the job done but I think that you can just view it as, you know, you're playing golf, right? It's not like you're 
pretty fortunate to be able to play golf and do that for a living. But realizing that if you look at everything that needs to get better as a chance to improve, I think that's only going to help you down the road. And to the point of realizing sooner that I kind of got out of my mental niche that now I know what it feels like to be out of that, you know? And I think that for the last couple of weeks, I, I haven't really gotten away from that. So I, I was unfamiliar with what it feels like to be out of that zone. So now when I go tee it up next time and maybe I can realize that through six holes as opposed to, you know, 12 holes and just the sooner you can kind of capitalize on previous mistakes. I think that's only going to help you down the, down the, down the road. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, we, we talk a lot about recognition and awareness as, you know, the catalyst for really making good improvements. And that's kind of sounds like what you're summarizing there. Now I know, so I can begin shrinking that gap and uh, hopefully that that doesn't really surface and we get more of those three weeks where you're just clicking being yourself. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Dude, this was great. Nice meeting you. Good stuff. Good stuff. Appreciate it. Good meeting you. Awesome, bud. You too. Hi, man. All right, thanks, Good luck to you. All right, Kyle. See ya. Well, there you have it. Jordan Hahn, again, he is a longtime student of mine. Been fortunate to coach him since he was in seventh grade. So we've uh, been through a lot together, and it's great to see him just continue to excel. And um, Again, you can just learn so much from him. I learned so much from just seeing his attitude and how he handles himself. It's, uh, he's a true professional. So make sure everybody's rooting for Jordan. Follow him on social media. Um, follow his career because he's going to be one of the greats, no doubt about it. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. As always, again, if you haven't yet, you should have heard from Jordan how powerful understanding his mental golf type is in order to get his success. So, again, jump on mentalgolftype.com. Make sure you get your free assessment and understand how your personality ties into basically everything out there. So do that today. Make sure you know your type. But, again, thank you for following the Go Low Show. We'll see you in the next episode.